Yeah, as Abby just said, um, the reading is in Luke 24, the verses 50 to 53, on page 1062. The ascension of Jesus. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. I could listen to Julianne reading the Bible all day. <laughs> so, we're in Luke, uh, chapter 24, uh, verses 50 to 53, page 1062, as Julianne just said. Now, I wonder, very short reading... I wonder what struck you about that passage, those, those few verses. And because when I read them through, the word that really hit me was the word joy. That's uh, verse 52, isn't it? You can see that, that word joy. And I thought, why would the disciples be so joyful? It didn't really make any sense to me. This was their best friend. It's the Lord Jesus leaving them. Why would they be joyful? And I don't think I'm the only person who's had that problem. Sorry, that projector's not working. You'll have to stretch your vision a little bit. Um, I think Andrea, Andrea Mantegna had the same problem, the same question. This is his picture uh, of the Ascension. Uh, if you go and visit Martin and Fran, apparently you can see it hanging in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. And he painted it uh, around about uh, 1500. And generally, it tells the story of the Ascension uh, just as we've read it. <clears throat> so we're about a month, or 40, 50 days after Easter. Uh, Jesus, he's led the disciples out of Jerusalem, a couple of miles outside to the countryside. Uh, and now we're told he's taken up to heaven. And that's what we got there in the picture. He's obscured by a cloud. Uh, and that little detail isn't in Luke, but Luke gives us two versions of the ascension. And beginning of Acts, uh, he tells us there's a cloud, uh, a sort of sign of God's glory around Jesus. Um, and in this picture, I don't know whether you can see, sometimes it's printed right-handed, sometimes left-handed, but um, with one of his hands anyway, uh, you can't really tell whether Jesus is sort of waving goodbye, uh, which is one interpretation, um, or perhaps, more accurately, he's blessing the disciples as he goes, because that's what verse 51 says, isn't it? It says, while he was still blessing them, that he left them. Uh, and the disciples, they're down, they're, they're very earthbound. There are 11 of them, if you count 12. Uh, that's because I think he stuck Mary in as well, and why not? So there they are, there are the disciples. And their attitude, uh, I think, is one of reverence and worship, isn't it? They're looking they're looking up. Um, but they don't look very cheerful. They look pretty miserable to me. There's not much joy there. Um, and that's for one of two reasons, I think. Either Andreas didn't understand why they should be joyful, or he couldn't paint smiles. Uh, and we don't know which one is true. But Luke is very clear. Luke is very clear that the disciples went back to Jerusalem after the ascension with great joy. So that's what I want to focus on, to understand why were the disciples 
so full of joy. Now, Phil spoke this morning on the few verses that run up to this. So actually, this is sort of this is almost a sort of a double act, and it's really worth um, listening to Phil if you weren't here this morning on his sermon this morning, because it helps give us some of the background to what's going on here. And one of the things we heard this morning is that Jesus has spent time uh, explaining from the scriptures to the disciples uh, what was going on. He had opened their minds. You can see that. That's a phrase in verse 45, isn't it? And we can do the same thing. Whatever Jesus told the disciples has ended up in the scriptures for us tonight to look at. So our minds, too, can be opened to understand what's happening at the ascension. And there were three things that came to me, which are on the little uh, funny-colored order of service down there, because I think the ascension tells us what Jesus has done. I think it tells us what Jesus is still doing, and it tells us what Jesus will do. By the way, there's another point that slipped off the bottom of the order of service, so don't get hopeful towards the end. Uh, but those three main points, aren't they? What Jesus has done, what he's still doing, and what he will do are, I think, the reason for the disciples' joy. And I think the main thing that Jesus has done, that they were so cheerful about, if you like, is that Jesus defeated death at Easter. That's the story of the resurrection, isn't it? Jesus coming back to life. Uh, and defeating death and making it possible for us to be with God forever because we don't need to face death. And that was what we were celebrating last week at Easter, wasn't it? That was the whole point of the Easter celebration on on the Sunday. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus coming back to life, and we heard this morning, appearing to his disciples convincingly as a person, as a real person, that death was defeated. Now, we talk a lot about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. We talk about the crucifixion. We talk about the resurrection. Sometimes we don't stop to think, well, then what? Because actually, of course, Jesus could, could have just stayed around, presumably, couldn't he? He could have carried on chatting to the disciples. But it would have been a bit weird, wouldn't it? What would have happened? Would he have stayed forever like that and the disciples getting old? Or would Jesus have started to get old himself? Come a stooped old man and eventually die. That would be pointless, wouldn't it? Be ridiculous. The whole point of the resurrection is Jesus has defeated death. So instead, the the point of the ascension, he returns to his father. And he does it in full view of these witnesses who tell us Jesus did not die, never will die. Instead, He returns to his father. And that return to God is, if you like, the completion of his work on earth. It's a sort of mission accomplished moment of Jesus' return to heaven. He ascends to his heavenly home. Now, here's a much uglier picture. This is not a nice picture, but it's one I came across recently. And it's actually a great illustration of what is happening at the Ascension. This is a picture uh, of uh, German prisoners from the Eastern Front after a very major offensive in 1944 when the Russian army 
overran the Eastern Front. Um, and what Stalin did was he did something that Roman emperors used to do. What he did was he paraded the prisoners through the streets of Moscow. And the victorious generals stood at the front. And there were 57,000 people in this column. And you can just about see it stretching back. And newsreels captured this moment. It was Stalin and his generals showing the totality of their victory and leading their captives through the streets of Moscow. And if that's beginning to ring a bell with you, then you know your Bibles because there's a verse, it's originally in Psalms, but actually Paul uses it in Ephesians 4, 8. And he's talking about what happens at that moment of ascension. What happens when Jesus returns back to heaven? And he says that when Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives in his wake. And he's using exactly this picture that they would have been familiar with in the ancient world and hasn't been seen for a long time since, but we see it here. This idea of complete victory. And all the demonic powers and all the demons, all the powers of hell, all the powers of death streaming behind him, just like these prisoners, because they're defeated by Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. Christ's victory is total and absolute and death is crushed. It's an awesome image, isn't it? And one we perhaps struggle to get hold with. And I guess for some of us, that is a little bit academic very often. But there will be moments in our lives, and of course many of us will have been in those moments, when that's really important to hang on to, isn't it? Imagine what it's like in Sri Lanka at the moment. Hundreds, probably thousands of our brothers and sisters hanging on to that great truth that death has been defeated, utterly crushed. And we need to hang on to that truth ourselves, don't we? When, when we go through those, those times, when we do lose loved ones, when we do lose uh, friends, we need to remember, or perhaps facing death ourselves, we need to remember total victory by Jesus at the, as ascension, as he ascends back to heaven. Well, that's a great bit of good news, isn't it? It's why Julian was reading it in such a happy voice, because great news, the ascension, what Jesus has done. But actually, the good news gets better. It keeps on going. Because the ascension doesn't only tell us what happened when Jesus, uh, what he has done, but it tells us what he continues to do. After all, Jesus, he didn't, he's not died. He is still alive. And you think, well, what's he doing now then? Is he sort of sitting around like an Uber driver waiting for the next call? You know, twiddling his thumbs. What do I do next? Well, of course he's not. Do you notice, I don't know whether you can see it in the picture, but we talked about it, that the Bible says that as he ascended, he was blessing us. So that's that hand up in blessing. Jesus didn't say, right, I'm going to bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, done all 11 of you, right, I'm off now. Neither, I think, did it happen that he's saying, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you, and then God the Father says, hang on a minute, we haven't got time for all this, off you go. He said, well, I haven't finished yet. That wasn't it, was it? Surely what's happening at the Ascension is Jesus is showing us what he's doing. He is blessing us. Isn't that a wonderful picture? He's continuing to bless us. Well, again, 
So what does that mean in practice? And we're back to that Ephesians 4.8 verse, because not only does it talk about leading captives in this wake, but Paul says Jesus gave gifts to his people. So Jesus is blessing us by giving us gifts. And we know, I think, in this church what sort of gifts they are. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, Phil talked about it this morning, didn't it? The power to witness, the power to talk to people about the Lord Jesus. That's one of his gifts. The gifts of the Spirit that are promised. And we see arrive in Pentecost. Those are gifts that Jesus continues to give us. They are the Holy Spirit's gifts, but they come through Jesus. And the fruit of the Spirit, I think, too. We see them grow in our lives, don't we? We should look to see them grow. And they're all coming as gifts of the Lord Jesus. So these things are coming from Jesus as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes icons can capture things in a way that other pictures look a bit weird, don't we? So that's what that's trying to illustrate, isn't it? The Father and the Son sitting together uh, as Jesus continues to bless us. And actually, Jesus is doing even more than that. Uh, There's a whole other area we could go into. We're not going to spend long thinking about it. But Hebrews 9, 24 talks about Jesus being our priest. Jesus being the priest who continues to intercede for us. So, and if you like, it's another way that Jesus continues to bless us all the time. He's next to his father. I know this is sort of picture language, but that's the illustration we have. He's next to his father interceding for us, standing up for us. Now, I looked at that and was thinking about the verse and thought, mm, it does sound a little bit odd, doesn't it? That does sound a little bit like, you know, he's sitting here next to God and, and Judith breaks the speed limit again. And you say, oh, don't, don't look, don't look, don't, don't, don't. she's all right, really. Uh, then she kicks the cat. Oh, don't, don't worry about that. You know, it's all right. John Stott has a much better way of describing it. He says, Jesus is before God as the perpetual sacrifice. It's like the lamb that was slain lying in front of God all the time saving us and effectively interceding for us so that those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus know that we are completely secure uh, and safe with him. And that is the work of Jesus in heaven, even now, even as we sit here. Now, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I really, I'm not sure I've ever really thought that through properly. You know, we just, we just, uh, we, we pray for this, we pray for that. We tend to f- forget, I think. Jesus is there working for us all the time. And we can continue in even our Christian lives to reject those gifts, can't we? We can choose to ignore the blessings he wants to give us. We can dampen down those fruit. We could ignore those gifts. We can ignore those opportunities that Phil was talking about when it's so difficult to talk about people and we all have them. When we think, oh gosh, have I really got to say something? But there they are. There is Jesus giving us those gifts all the time. Just as he ascended to heaven, he was blessing us then and he continues to do so. What a great, great promise to hang on to, isn't it? So we have a sense of what Jesus has done, the complete and utter destruction of death. We have a sense of what he is doing, that he continues to give us his blessing. He continues uh, to intercede for us. But we've also got an idea from the ascension about what Jesus will do. 
And this is, I'm cheating a little bit because I'm using a little bit of Acts, as we said earlier. Because in Acts, we get a little bit of extra detail. Um, We're told in Acts that as Jesus is taken up, as we saw in that picture, and as people are looking up, the disciples are looking up to Jesus, the angels, a couple of angels appear, and they say to the disciples, why are you looking up? He's coming back. This Jesus, who you've seen lead like this, is uh, going to come back. Now, not necessarily in exactly the same way, but I think a good analogy is, as you've seen the sun go down, so it will come up again. As we see a sunset, so there will be a dawn. And it's also just a great picture of dawn over Brighton Pier, isn't it? But, uh, but that's the image. Jesus will come back as certain as the sun will rise uh, tomorrow. So this, this might have been the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. But he will continue to bless them from heaven and there will come a point when he comes back. And of course, for those of us here who trust the Lord Jesus, that's great news, isn't it? A wonderful thing uh, to look forward to. When we, when we hear about the mess the world is in, when we hear about all the, sort of the climate rows going on, and we hear about stuff like Sri Lanka, all these horrible things, and we know the Lord Jesus is going to return and put all things right. And when he comes back, when that sun comes up, he's going to be your best friend. Isn't that great? I had a, a desperately embarrassing episode a little while ago. Um, there, was a, there was a bit of a formal dinner. I was out, or lunch actually, uh, in, in London, in the city. Um, and somebody got in touch with me and said, are you my old best friend from junior school? Well, I hadn't seen him for 50 years. Now, the sort of school I was at, we only had surnames, so I only knew him as Taylor. So that was a little bit embarrassing. Hello, Taylor. Um, even worse, and this is in front of all sorts of business people, he only knew me by my nickname, which at that stage was Duck. So this was not good. But, you know, we were just so excited to see each other. We swapped the little name places around, and sat down, and somebody else came up and said, excuse me, I should be sitting there. And we said, well, go away, you want to talk. And it was just such fun. And we just enjoyed talking as such good friends, uh, catching up with each other. Well, imagine what it's going to be like when the Lord Jesus comes back. It's going to be that sort of excitement, isn't it? It's going to be wonderful. Our best friend is going to come back, and he is the creator of the universe. Now, that's all very jolly, but it is making an assumption, isn't it? It's making an assumption that you would look forward to that moment. It's, it's making an assumption um, that you think what I'm saying makes any sense at all. Um, and of course, if you're not a Christian, then what I'm talking about, frankly, is complete gobbledygook or, or just complete nonsense. And we've been focusing very much tonight on the good news because it is great news. But there is a little bit of a health warning at this point, isn't there? Because it's an individual decision, isn't it? How we respond to the gospel and how we respond uh, to the Lord Jesus. And uh, Philippians 2, so another letter in the New Testament, Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus, it's a familiar verse, isn't it? Every knee will bow. And actually, Paul says, the living and the dead. This is at the end of time. Everybody will bow their knee to the Lord Jesus. Doesn't matter what nation you're from, doesn't matter what faith you're from, you and I, we will all bow the knee 
before the Lord Jesus. And there we are, that picture sort of gives the idea, doesn't it? There are two ways you can bow the knee. Um, I just thought Theresa May had rather a nice dress on, so I thought we'd use that. Um, But she's bowing the knee in respect. I guess a bit of friendship, I don't know. But there's no fear there, is there? It's an honour for her to be bowing the knee to the Queen. The guy on the other side, I think, is bowing the knee in fear and terror. And that's the choice that we're all going to face, actually. The Lord Jesus will come back. We will all bow our knee. The question will be uh, the circumstances when we do that. If we look forward to that moment, then it's a great comfort, isn't it, to know that one day our best friend, the creator of the universe, is going to come back and we can bow our knee and say, nice to meet you, perhaps, uh, like the Queen with uh, Theresa May. So, three things you can learn from the ascension, aren't they? What Jesus has done, completely defeated death. What he's doing still for us, he is still caring for us, he's still blessing for us, he's still giving us our gifts. And what he will do, well, he will re-enter world history. There will come a moment when we will all bow our knee to him. Now, Phil tells me that every sermon has to have an application. Um, so, what's the application for that? Because Luke's gospel sort of ends with this sort of little footnote, doesn't it? Well, I could say that I think there are two points to take from this. Firstly, again, if you think I'm talking nonsense, if you just don't believe me, then come and have an argument afterwards. That's an easy application. Just come and tell me why. Uh, if you come with a friend, tell them why you think this is complete nonsense. So that's easy. But if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, how do you apply uh, these verses? See, other Gospels, they tend to end with the focus on going out and telling other people the good news. And in fact, that was what... Luke's gospel was dealing with in that previous passage that Phil spoke on this morning. That was the message, really. Let's go and tell other people this great news. But look with me again at verse 52, because for the first time in Luke's gospel, what happens in verse 52 is it says the disciples worshipped Jesus. So there's been other bits of worship going on. In Luke, but that is the first time right at the end there that the disciples worship Jesus. It is as though right at the end of the gospel they've got it. Or at least they've got enough. We know that some disciples still weren't sure, they still doubted, but they've got enough to understand who Jesus was, what he'd done for them. And that knowledge and that relationship for them translates into this great picture of joy uh, and praise and worship. Well, that's all very well, but what do you do with that? Um, My father, when I was being sort of boring or irritating as a youngster, would just say, be happy, will you? Um, Which, as a bit of advice, wasn't much use, frankly. And it's a bit like saying, be joyful, get praising, go on. That's, that's, That's not an application, is it? That praise is going to come from seeing who Jesus is, isn't it? from knowing Jesus, from spending time with Jesus. That is why 
we come together, isn't it? That's why we come together here in church. It's our chance to spend time alone with the Lord without any distractions uh, of the world around us. Uh, It's why we read the Bible, isn't it? Because when we read the Bible, when we read the scriptures, we're hearing God speak to us. We're spending time with the Lord Jesus as he speaks to us through the scriptures. It's why I hope we spend time uh, in in, in quiet times, in reflection, in, in meditation, in just allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us. We need, don't we, all to spend time with the Lord Jesus. And as that deepens our relationship and it deepens our understanding, then, well, actually, joy will result. I think there's lots of folk here who could testify that to that personally. I certainly can. We spend time with the Lord, and what is the response? It will be joy. It will be praise. And that kind of reminded me, in a way, of how we started, because I think it's just coincidental probably, but I did the first sermon on Luke uh, before Christmas. We looked at Luke chapter 1. And I remember I used this picture. I just love this picture. But this is a picture of um, Zechariah meeting Gabriel in the temple. And Zechariah, when he first hears the good news, his response is doubt, isn't it? And he doesn't believe what he's hearing. And I think the artist gets the idea of Zechariah sort of crunched up and sort of not being able to cope. And as a result, of course, he is dumb and mute uh, for some for some months. He can't praise God for some time. That is the response of Zechariah when he hears the good news. And surely Luke here wants to see the contrast, doesn't he? He wants us to see at the end of the gospel what's happened. We have this outpouring of praise. Uh, the disciples back in the temple, not cowering like Zechariah was, but worshipping and praising him. It's more like that, isn't it? And what's changed? Well, it's very simple, isn't it? Over the course of Luke's gospel, we've met Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. We've seen what he's done. That's the disciples' experience. And it's the same experience for us today. That time of getting to know Jesus, understanding what he's done, will only lead to joy and praise as we think on it. So what has Jesus done? He's defeated death. He blesses us, blesses us every day. And he's coming back. That's a great reason to celebrate. And it's a great reason for worship. And we're going to do that in a minute. But before we do, I'm just going to finish. This was a a Church of England prayer written for Easter. And it seemed to sum up those sentiments really well. So let me just read this prayer and then hand back to Abby. Risen, ascended Lord, as we rejoice at your triumph, fill us with your power and compassion so that everyone may find forgiveness and know your peace. To the glory of God the Father. Amen.